Good morning. Well, we had a blast at the weekend. Who was here this weekend? Praise the Lord. If you weren't, I want you to kind of feel bad about it. You missed some good stuff. Praise the Lord. Kind of feel it for a couple more minutes. Praise God for the audios. We've got uh, audios that'll be online. I'm really big on that, man. You guys grab a hold of the stuff and listen to it. The Lord met us. It was actually something unique. I, uh, you know, I, I, you know, you get to grow. I, I, I'm used to what happens and fire, glory, wind, powerful ministry times. But the Lord, both nights, kind of had just a calming peace come over the room. And there was silence in the room for up to 10 to 15 to 20 minutes of just the rest of God as God was encountering people at such a deep level. And uh, I really feel like it's something that God's doing in this hour, a good news. And uh, I feel like many of you have come through an intense years, intense decades. And I feel like the Lord's bringing us into a place of peace and rest in Him to get filled with the next season's burdens and, uh, uh, and assignments that he has for us. And so I, I really feel like good news is in a good place. I feel like the Lord has uh, done some, uh, we've been in, all of us have been in seasons of pruning. You know, Jesus in John 15, he, he prunes the fruitful branches. You know that. He actually cuts back those areas that are actually prospering so that it can bring forth more fruit. And so he's been pruning. Some of us, he's been, we've been experiencing the discipline of God. Where, where God highlights deficiencies in our life that we're not able to see. And we don't have the wisdom to be able to navigate it. So the Lord, he disciplines those that he loves. Okay? We don't spank other, kid, other parents' children, do we? If you're getting spanked and disciplined, that's actually a sign you're his. If you're not, that's when I'd be afraid. So discipline is good. And so I believe there's been discipline, there's been pruning, and there's been just a refining that's been going on because I believe that we're moving into an intense decade. I, I'm believing for a decade of harvest, a decade of many promises that have been stored up are going to be fulfilled. I spoke it last night. I believe he's turning the water of the last season's tears into the wine of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, I thought that was good. It was encouraging me. So I'll just say it to myself, and, and we'll just walk with the Lord from there. All right, praise the Lord. Turn with me to Philippians 3. I want to encourage you guys. Yeah, I spent 18 years in Kansas City at the International House of Prayer, and me and my family have been in Dallas at Upper Room. And uh, Upper Room sings that song, This is how I find my battles. Not heard it, then you need to hear it. It's good. Um, and I'm a good worship leader, too, and that. You're like, I don't still know the song after he sings it. But, um, uh, yeah, we, we, we spent 18 years Kansas City, one year in, in Dallas, and uh, I burn with connecting people to God. That's what I care about is being like a friend of the bridegroom that introduces you to the most beautiful, exhilarating person so that you two can connect and I get out of the way. It's called a friend of the bridegroom ministry. And that's what I care about is connecting the bride to the bridegroom. And so I do that through a lot of ways. I've written a lot of books, five books, five prayer CDs. I'm doing an online course called Teach Us to Pray. 40 days, Teach Us to Pray. There's things we've got on that. But anyway, I want to look at Philippians 3. Whenever I start a new year 
and in this case, a new decade, I always go to Philippians 3 because this is my chiropractic adjustment and my recalibration to where I'm going in God. And I believe we need those chapters in the Bible that recalibrate us to get back and make the first things first and make the secondary things second so that we're not always living by the tyranny of the urgent, but that we prioritize the important things. Do you know that there are first works in the kingdom, that there is a first commandment? There's a great commandment as we prioritize it. It's important. All right, Philippians 3. Paul, in verses 1 through 7, is going to pretty much summarize his radical devotion as as a Pharisee. And in essence, he's saying, as it comes to the law, there's nobody that's been more dedicated than me, more zealous than me, more holier and more righteous than me. And if you were to study Saul of Tarsus' life, this man was the radical Jew who was bent on destroying this sect called Christianity. He was there at the martyrdom of Stephen. It says that they threw all the clothes to him at the martyrdom of Stephen. And in Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus was traveling to Damascus And while traveling, he was going to get Christians and to bring them into prison. And while traveling, a blinding light hit him on the road to Damascus. And he saw a full-on open vision of Jesus. Come on. He saw a full-on open vision of Jesus. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? He goes, I'm Jesus. And at that moment, Saul fell from his horse He was born again. The ones that were with him heard the voice but didn't see it. And many historians say that the salvation of Saul of Tarsus is one of the greatest apologetics for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To see this radical hater of Christians turn into a radical follower of Jesus in a moment brought great uh, uh, strengthening to the resurrection of Jesus. Well, this man in Philippians 3 pulls back the curtains of his heart and he, go, and he goes, do you want to know what is the motivation of my life? What's the north star? What is it that governs everything else? And he gives it to us. Just look with me in verse 8. Let's just start right there. He says, and what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss. For the, and look at this. He goes, yet indeed I count all things loss. All the years of study, all the things I did, I count all things lost, look at this phrase, for the excellence, everybody say excellence, Excellence. of the knowledge, say of the knowledge, of Christ Jesus, say of Christ Jesus, my Lord. I want to encourage you in 2020 to slow down as you read the Bible. Everybody's into reading your Bible in a year. What if you read a verse in a year? What if you start getting verses and you turn them into dialogue with God? I want to tell you the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul said, when I saw that man on the road to Damascus, my whole life was bankrupted in a moment. Everything that I had ran after was completely bankrupted. Everything that I had sought to achieve was completely bankrupted. Can I just brag on Jesus for a second? Can I talk about it? We were just singing that, you know, how great is our God, how much we love you, God. 
I just want to declare over good news that Jesus Christ is King and He is God. Jesus Christ is absolutely the most beautiful person you will ever meet. There is no one more exhilarating, more fascinating, more inebriating than encountering fresh discoveries of His person. When God reveals God to the human spirit, a thousand fears are calmed. A thousand lies are broken. A thousand questions are answered. When the revelation of Jesus Christ touches your spirit, there's nothing that brings greater satisfaction, greater definition, more understanding than when God reveals God to the human spirit. Nothing is more powerful then the one through whom the worlds were made is revealed to you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And John 1.14 releases a buckshot to the galaxies, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. For the law came through Moses, but grace and truth through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the brightness of the Father's glory. He is the express image of his person. In him all things consist and hold together. In him the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily. You got that? You got that one? No, you don't. Stop it. Fullness of the Godhead dwelling in him bodily. Five foot five Jewish man who created the worlds. Fullness of the Godhead dwelling in him bodily. The one who created everything born into the world he created. He is perfect wisdom. Perfect justice, perfect kindness, perfect righteousness, perfect goodness, perfect tenderness. He is the kindest person you will ever meet. He's powerful. He's righteous. He's glad. He is anointed with the oil of gladness. Jesus is the happiest man that has ever lived. All right, good, good. He ate lunch with Abraham. (laughs) Do you know Jesus didn't just show up in Matthew? You know that, right? You know he was there in Genesis 1. The worlds were made through him. He is the word. He ate lunch with Abraham. He wrestled with Jacob all night. He was in the burning bush. Joshua saw him before he went into Jericho. Hallelujah. Isaiah saw him on the throne. He touched Jeremiah's lips. Ezekiel saw him on the throne. Zechariah saw him as the rider on the red horse. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Paul gave us this phrase, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
I want to tell you there is nothing more excellent than the discovery of who Jesus Christ is. It's not a fill-in-the-blank quiz that you checked off when you got saved. It's a limitless ocean that will be forever blowing your mind with fresh discoveries. Can I tell you something about Jesus? You're never going to get used to him. This is going, I'm going to go ahead and get you used to the look you're going to have on your face for billions of years. Here it is. And Paul says, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish, dung. There's other words for that. Verse, go ahead and go to the next thing. Be found in him, not having my own righteousness. Go to the next verse. That I may know him. All of us in here would say, I know Jesus. Paul says, we're all pipsqueaks. We're all in a paddle boat, and he's the Pacific Ocean. And every direction that you look, it's blue. I have not there. I want to know him. I have this eternal longing inside of me for the search and the discovery of Jesus Christ. I want to know him in two realms. I want to know him in the power realm. I want to know him in resurrection, and I want to know him in suffering. The most of the American church only preaches the power and resurrection Jesus. But I want to tell you, if you really want to know him, there is a realm of fellowshipping with him in his sufferings. There is a realm of connected to Jesus in his suffering, and most people do not talk about that, but I don't only want to know 50% of Jesus. And if you've bought into a Christianity that doesn't have suffering in it, you need to get saved. <laughs> Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 16, after they said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, Peter goes, he began to tell them, he goes, I've got to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die and be raised again. Peter takes Jesus to the side. You know, he just got, you're the Christ, Son of the living God. He's feeling one for one, should go two for two. He looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You don't have to go and suffer and die. You do the killing. You don't suffer. Jesus looked at him and he says, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you're mindful not of the things of God, but the things of men. If you're hearing a Christianity that doesn't have suffering in it, then it's satanic. Jesus isn't your genie. You let you rub and he makes all your problems go away. He is the beautiful, glorious God in whom you set your eyes on. And you go, God, I'm coming after you, Lord. Anyway, verse 11, let's keep going. Verse 12, we're not ready for verse 11. <laughs> Talking about attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already attained, I'm not already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Here's the verse I want you to look at this morning. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I'm not there yet, but one thing I do. If I leave anything with you today, there's one thing that I want to leave with you. And Paul says, guys, and there's no verse that I can think that is more appropriate for the start of a new year and a new decade than Philippians 3.13 when Paul said, this is one thing that I do every day, 
every week, every month, every year, every decade. Look at this. I forget the things which are behind. Before you move into this year and decade, you need to let go of the things of 2019 to 2010 and onwards. We must forget the things that are behind us and reach forward to those things which are ahead. He says, I forget the things which are behind and I reach forward to those things which are ahead. There are two realms that you must learn to forget as we move into 2020. Number one, you need to forget your failures and your sins. You need to take all of your sins, your failures, your weaknesses, everything that you have done wrong and every person you've done it wrong to, and you must come before the mercy seat of God, own it, not blame shift it, not victim it, but not put it to somebody else, but to own it before God and say, you alone have I sinned. Before you alone have I sinned, I ask you to forgive me by your blood. I ask you to cleanse me by your blood. And I ask you to wash me by your blood. And as you receive the cleansing blood of Jesus over your sins, it breaks the power of the devil. It breaks the power of the accuser and the tormentor and the liar. And you receive his forgiveness and you come into that righteousness into him. You push delete on the last season. You push delete on the last year, on the last decade. And you move forward into the next season. You are not glorifying Christ when you keep your failures as the center of the conversation. It's not about you. It's about him and what he's done. Can you stop worshiping you and start worshiping him? We worship us, and it's so prideful to say what I've done will dictate the terms of our relationship. His blood defines you. Forget your failures, and this is what Pastor Jason was talking about. I always hear when I see forget the things that are behind, I always hear New York Jesus that says, forget about it. (laughs) I like New York Jesus. Because I told him I don't want to hear Arkansas Jesus. (laughs) Forget about it. Whatever southern accent is. It's me, but whatever. (laughs) Whatever. Forget about it. Forget the things that are behind. And number two, you need to forget your successes. You need to forget all of the things you accomplished in the last decade in God. Everything, many saints, they live in the memory of where they were five years ago. But they're not on fire anymore. But yet they had the memory of what they've done for God. And they think it's present tense. And the Lord's saying, you're living in yesterday. I want you to leave that to me and move on into fresh encounters in me. Move into fresh experiences in the word and in prayer And in God moving through your life, don't live in what used to be and the glory of the old days. Move forward into the next season. There are wonders. There are signs. There are miracles. There are God breaking into your family. There are things we haven't even seen before. And God wants to deliver you from living in yesterday to move forward into the next. Jesus. Jesus. 
reach forward to those things which are ahead. Verse 14, I press toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ. And then verse 15, I love Paul. He says, therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Which means if you think there's another way to follow God, I won't argue with you. God will show you. <laughs> it's a little dagger there. <laughs> I would say the Apostle Paul is the man most rooted and grounded in the grace of God. Would you say that? Most of us are hearing a grace in the American church that says that you can live in autopilot and status quo and live at a distance. But the true grace of God picks your behind up and catapults you into a vision for fullness. It doesn't allow you to live in autopilot. It doesn't allow you to live with 45 minutes and 20 bucks. It doesn't allow you to live on checking off a weekly box of Sunday-only Christianity, but it picks you up at Monday morning. It says, wake up and meet with me. It wakes you up at Tuesday saying, give that money to that person. It wakes you up on Wednesday night saying, forgive your wife. Go after your children. The grace of God catapults you. It doesn't settle you. And when the grace of God touches you, words like press get into your spiritual vocabulary. Words like lay hold of. Words like apprehend. Words like a vision for fullness lays hold of you. He wants to light a fire in you in 2020. Ask for the true grace of God. Amen? Well, I want to talk about Jesus for a little longer. Is that okay? You sure? Okay, Revelation 1. You talk me into it. Revelation 1. Go to Revelation 1, verse 10. We're going to start in verse 10. First off, you know the last book of the Bible is not called the revelation of Satan. Do you know that? It's not called the revelation of the Antichrist. It's not called the revelation of seals, trumpets, and bowls. What's the last book of the Bible called? No, the revelation of Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus given to John. The last book of the Bible is the revelation of Jesus to the whole planet. And if you love Jesus, you need to love the last book of the Bible. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. So John is 90, facing this way. He hears behind him a loud voice saying, I'm the Alpha, Omega, first and last. What you see, write it in a book. He turned. Now look with me in verse 12. I love this. And then I turned. Everybody say, I turned. Say it again. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw. I want you to note that John didn't see until he turned. I do about 30 weekends a year doing conferences. I love conferences. And in many ways, I'm coming as the trumpet. But so many believers will treat the conference or the encounter as the goal They'll hear a trumpet all day, but they never move from hearing the trumpet into turning into encounter the one by whom they're connected to. There are three realms by which you must turn away and to turn in this next season. Number one, there are real people you need to turn away from that are hindering your life in God. 
There are people that want you to live in Funkville with them. There are people that want you to live on the treadmill of 2.0 of Christianity in America with them. And there are certain people, I don't care how long you've been friends with them, I don't care who you, how many stories you got, there are some of the turning away and forgetting is you need to begin to move from best friends into once a month coffee friends with certain people and to begin to move with a different group of people that will push you into God instead of talking you out of a vision for fullness. That's painful. It's cutting. It hurts. You feel it. To turn, it requires something. Everybody just wants to hear the trumpet. I heard the trumpet. I heard the trumpet. I heard the trumpet. It's one thing to hear it, but then to turn. You're not hearing me. It's going to require something of you. There's going to be real people you need to turn away from in this next season to get where you got to get in God. You know who they are. You don't have to do a big search. Number two, there are things. It might be your phone. It might be your Netflix account. It might be the social media account. There might be things that are in your life that you must turn away from to create greater space and capacity to encounter God. All right, Jesus isn't real tender when it comes to things that get in the way. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, he didn't say rub oil on it. He didn't say do a warfare dance around your eye. He says, cut it out. Come on, Jesus. you got to turn away from people, turn away from things that are hindering your capacity in God. That's why I love fasting. I wish I could do a whole thing on fasting today. I got that burning in me because nothing has created greater capacity to encounter God like fasting food. I want to encourage you. Fasting is feasting. Fasting reveals all the fault lines and all the stuff in your soul, all the dross in your spiritual life comes to the surface in fasting. Some of you hate fasting because every time you get a- you fast, you get angry. The truth is you're getting angry because there's anger in you. And you're getting an introduction to you. Fasting puts a burner under the dross of your inner life so that you can come into contact with the true state of your soul so you can renew your mind and see the power of anger, lust, jealousy, comparison, competition, envy, and all of the works of the flesh delivered out of your life and you move into a new place in God. Fasting food will stir it up. If you're into this thing, which I am, we want to be about this. Anyway. Anyway. Fasting food brings divine government over your appetites, your physical appetites, your sexual appetites. Do you know your sexual appetites are connected to your belly? Do you know when you live subjected to food, and you live in tyranny to food, your whole life is out of whack. Fasting brings your spirit, man, and it puts it in the front seat, and it puts your soul into the back seat. And it brings divine alignment between spirit, soul, and body. 
It brings divine government over all of your appetites. It delivers you from the sensual, and it brings you into the spiritual. It awakens a greater sensitivity to God and His voice. It it causes the Word of God to go from a tapping hammer into a sledgehammer. Fasting doesn't earn anything from God. It makes you vulnerable to the truth of who you are in God so you can walk in it. Fasting is about vulnerability. Fasting is about God's strength made perfect in weakness. And He wants you weak and vulnerable because we're so used to strength, the strength of our personalities, the strength of our wisdom, the strength of our gifts, the strength of our money, the strength of our abilities to flaunt and to move in our strength. But God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. So when you're moving at 50%, your mind's foggy and you don't think it's clear. God's magnified there. Yeah, all kinds of stuff stirring up in here. It's something that I've sought to do for 20 years on a regular basis. I care deeply about the power of fasting. If I was on my deathbed and you were going to say how to grow in my life in God, I'm on my deathbed. We don't have to be on my deathbed, but this is important. Everything that's on your deathbed is important, so why not go there? (laughs) That's my whole aim is I just want to live on my deathbed. I don't want to be having to tell the people I never told them I loved them two seconds before I die. Ask forgiveness from people I never asked for two seconds before I die. Why not do it now? (laughs) It's deep. Three things have changed my life and that I would say are absolutely critical to growing in your life and your pursuit of Jesus. Number one, Meditation in the Bible. Slowing down and turning Bible into prayer. Whispering phrases back to God from God. When you whisper, I turn to see the voice, and especially when you get, go ahead and go to verse 13. This will be good for you. He says this, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. That, that provokes an image, doesn't it? I will turn and I will see the man shining with the white robe down to the feet, girded about the chest with the golden band, and I see him in the middle of the church, the seven lampstands. I will see him with my mind's eye. I will see the one with head and hair white like wool, eyes like fire, feet like burnished bronze, voice like the sound of many waters, sword out of the mouth, seven stars in his right hand, countenance like the sun in its strength. And I look at him and I behold him and I declare to him what the Bible says. That's how you get transformed is by slowing down and whispering phrases of the word back to Jesus. That's number one, meditation, which means it's got to get off the page and into your mouth. Number two, praying in tongues. Praying in tongues. I'm not talking about Pentecostal falling down. I felt God, sha da da I'm talking about 5.30 in the morning, cup of coffee. Uh, come on. And you start laying hold of the grace of God. Because not only do you turn away from stuff, it's not enough to say no to bad stuff. Do you know that? Do you know that? You can't just empty the house. you got to fill the house with light. 
You've got to fill the house with light. And as you begin to pray and connect with the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, he is your tour guide into the revelation of Jesus. Holy Spirit is your tour guide. He searches the deep things of God. And praying in tongues, I want to I, I just ask, just because I want to know, who in here has your prayer language? Oh, we're going we're gonna to get some people baptized in the Holy Ghost today. Raise it higher. Good, we're going to pray for a whole bunch of people today. Well, listen, here's your new assignment. Praying in the Holy Ghost for 20 minutes a day. <laughs> if I did it when I felt like doing it, I would do it once a month. I never feel like doing it. And that right there is just busting all kinds of bubbles. What? I thought you had to be floating before you get there. No, it's okay. <laughs> Praying in the Holy Ghost, it makes you strong in your spirit. It opens up the door of revelation. It makes you holy when you hang out with holy. Nothing will make you love Jesus more than Intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Nothing will, will, will awaken you to the love of God, character of God, like praying in the Holy Spirit. And number three, I would say meditation, praying in the Holy Spirit. Number three, fasting. This is what fasting does, is it gets you quiet in your soul. It, we, live in so, we live in such a seductive, voice-filled culture that's constantly vying for our attention. Fasting food quiets your soul like a weaned child, Psalm 131, on his mother, so is my soul within me. It gets you quiet to hear the voice of God. It causes the Word of God, and when he says, I love you, for you to feel it at a deeper level. My goodness. I love it. One like the Son of Man, his head and hair, his eyes, his feet, his voice, it just goes off on Jesus. Hallelujah. I just want to, we got about seven minutes left. I just want to appeal to you. Ask the Father to reveal his Son to you. Here's your prayer, Abba, I want to see Jesus the way you see Jesus. Abba, reveal your son to me. Deliver me from the greatest cancer that has ever plagued the church, the cancer of boredom. Do you know what the greatest hindrance facing the church in America is? Boredom. 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 And he wants to release a realm of divine fascination on the inside of you. He wants to deliver you from the seductions that more is better. Greater is better. More money, more houses, more this, more that. And we build up as many comforts and stuff our souls and our spirits have no capacity for real pleasure. I want to say there's a holy invitation to every one of you in here. Everybody's jacked up. There's no superstars. There's nobody that gets it. It's folk like us. 
It's just folk who just say, God, I want you for real. I don't want to live in Plasticville any longer. I don't want to live based on Jesus. I believe the days of Sunday-only Christianity are over. And I believe that God is awakening a generation that says, God, I want to know you for real. I want to know what you're feeling. I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know what you're saying. I want to walk with you like Enoch. I want to walk so close with you, you just take me up before I die because you can't handle the distance. If you don't break through that realm in here, everybody talks about your best life out here. How about your best life in here? Because you know what happens when you get your best life in here? It don't matter whether you're a janitor or a CEO of a of a. Of a Fortune 500 company, there is a sense of joy and purpose and life that transcends any amount of money, that transcends any amount of pleasure or material things of this world. Your reward is on the inside. It's nothing that this world can give to you because you've already settled it on the inside. He, his face is my reward. Not what he does for me. He is. And he's not a means to an end. He is the end. He's not my helper into my destiny. He is my destiny. He's not a stepping ladder into your destiny. What? What? Jesus wants to kill your destiny and resurrect his through you. Because only dead people walk into the fullness of Christ. (laughs) Can we just release some buckshots to that thing? Jesus, I want to know you for real. I want to tell you that Jesus, I believe with all my heart that the revelation of Jesus is absolutely at a paramount right now. We must rearrange our lives. Some of us need to sell boats so we don't have to work as much. So we can have more time to seek God in this next season. I believe that the cost of oil is going up. And the cost of gold is going up. And I'm not talking about natural gold and natural oil. I'm talking about histories in God. Intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Matthew 25, there are five wise virgins whose lamps are filled with oil and they have reserves. You want to cultivate history with God when nobody else is watching. You want to get a place, a a closet, a bedroom, a living room, a car. And you want to cultivate history with God and familiarize yourself with Him. There is nothing more valuable than a history with God. And I want to tell you, I believe that we need to call to him while he's near. Because I believe that we're moving into the generation of his return. And as the bridegroom's voice gets louder, the window's going to begin to shut. And the church that's cultivated history with him in these days will be able to move into the next season of usefulness. And if you continue to put it off until a better season, newsflash, those seasons don't exist. 
It is high time, Romans 13, to awake from your sleep. It is high time to awake from your sleep and to seek the Lord. I believe he's coming in his glory. And I want you to know that Jesus came the first time and he came as the meek and the lowly servant and he didn't lift up his voice. But friends, he's coming back like a lion. He's coming back like it says in Isaiah 42. I've held my peace a long time and now I'm about to pant and gasp like a woman in childbirth. It's about to get loud. It's about to get messy. It's about to get ugly. And it's about to get glorious as Jesus the glorious bridegroom king comes and he begins to openly confront every form of darkness. It's time for the church to come out of the kiddie pool of Christianity and to begin to grow in the deeper things of God. Jesus. What do you think about that? What do you think about that? Hear me. I know the older saints, they get this. You cultivate history with God. you got a place and a time. You young people need to find a place and a time with God, and you get, need to get to know Him. It'll be awkward at first, but just press through the awkwardness. Start carving out a spot in your carpet. And just make footsteps for your carpet where you get that worship CD on. And you walk in your bedroom and say, I love you, God. I don't know what else to say. Open the Bible, say a phrase, and just be with Him. Nobody knows how to develop this. It's awkward in the same way it is getting to know anybody. But let's just press through the awkwardness. And let's just quit talking to Him about your recent failures. And actually start talking to Him about Him. That's why you run out of things in five minutes because after you've talked about you, what else do we talk about? God's saying, okay, are you done yet? Can we stop talking about you? And prayer doesn't begin with you talking. Prayer begins with you listening. Prayer begins with you hearing. That's why we pray in the Holy Ghost. 80% of my prayer life is tongues. The other part are phrases of I love you's. And then out of that place of intimacy, I whisper for things to happen. Sometimes I yell it. Other times I whisper it. But I ask him to release his power and his activity in friends, in family, in situations, in Iran, in Washington, D.C., knowing that nothing is hindered. There's no time or distance in the spirit realm, but that my prayers transcend time and distance. Thank you, Jesus. Good, good, good. All right, let's stand. We've got a few minutes here. If you would like to receive your prayer language this morning, I want you to lift your hands. Good. Some of you are like, I'm good. Good. Enjoy it. And for the rest of you who quote unquote got your prayer language, rip that badge off your chest. I don't care if you got it. My question is, does it got you? 
That's a religious spirit that says, I've arrived. That's why nobody wants it. Because they say, you speak in tongues and your life looks like that? Let's ask the Father right now to fill us with the Holy Spirit. It takes God to love God. It takes God to seek God. Everybody in the room, just everybody open up your hands. We're going to ask him. Philippians 3, we're going to forget the things that are behind us, and we're going to reach forward to those things which are ahead. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I believe with all my heart that you're releasing the revelation of your heart, of your mind, and of your passion in this hour. I believe that you're delivering us from a domesticated form of Christianity. And you're bringing us into deeper things. Father, we ask you right now that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that you would fill us with the Holy Ghost and fire. Luke 11 says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more, Heavenly Father, give Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus, give us the Holy Spirit. We thank you we have Him, but we want more of Him. We want more and more and more and more. We want the endless ocean of the Holy Spirit. We're not ashamed of you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Let's ask him all of us together. Just say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to baptize me with the Holy Spirit and fire. I want to speak in tongues. I want to prophesy. I want everything you died for. So in the name of Jesus, baptize me now top of my head soles of my feet I want a river to gush out of my innermost being so I receive in the name of Jesus amen and I just release it right now all over this place today a fresh baptism and a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit a fresh river, a fresh glory a fresh pursuit Jesus. You're like, I don't want to be weird. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now let's just wait on him right now all over the room. Lord, we love you in this place. And we say, God, it's not going to be about our willpower. It's not about our willpower. It's about the work of the Holy Spirit right now. We need you, God, to move in. You who search the deep things of God, reveal Jesus Christ to our spirit. Awaken us, I pray.
Thank you, Jesus. Friends, build history with Jesus. Build history with Jesus. Lord, we love you this morning. We honor you this morning. God, I pray for those three realms right now. I pray for a revival in the Word of God in 2020. I pray that the Word of God would become our number one source of entertainment. I pray that you would teach us how to meditate in your law day and night. God, I pray for meditation to lay hold of us. God, I pray that we would begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. That, God, we would cultivate hours of fellowshipping in the Holy Spirit. In our rooms, so many of you have those commutes to work. Take those 20 minutes and just build yourself up in your most holy faith. And, God, I ask you right now for the grace of fasting in 2020. God, I pray that we would begin to declare war on the God of convenience and the God of pleasure and the God of our bellies and that we would begin to he says Deuteronomy 8 I brought you here to cause you to know that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes out of my mouth Father I pray right now for the grace of fasting to come upon good news Father I pray for a fasting movement morning we bless you oh Jesus we bless you thank you Jesus for you who are receiving it, what will happen is he'll start welling up from within you. That's God's part. You'll feel like a river starting to spring up. That John 4 river, that springs, that fountain. Some of you will start feeling a trickling, a soaking, as you become aware of your spirit man. There will be moments where you feel the surges of his fountain springing up. There is a moment of activation that happens when you step out of the boat and to begin to pray in that unknown language. I promise you, you will feel like an idiot for a second. But if you can get past your mind, it will knock a dam over in your inner man and begin to release a river. Thank you, Jesus. Shataya Rebe Sotoya. 